And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. No, Mike is a great guy. He's a, he's a, he's a wonderful man and a, a smart man and a man that I like a lot. He was a really, really great guy. I really, really liked him a lot. trial by combat and Rudy you did a great job he's got guts you know what he's got guts unlike a lot of people in the Republican Party he's got guts he fights he fights and, and he looked at Mike Pence and I hope Mike is gonna do the right thing I hope so I hope so because if Mike Pence does the right thing we win the election all Vice President Pence has to do is send it back to the states to recertify. And we become president, and you are the happiest people. And Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a, a sad day for our country. Because you're sworn to uphold our Constitution. The radical left knows exactly what they're doing. They're ruthless, and it's time that somebody did something about it. And Mike Pence, I hope you're going to stand up for the good of our Constitution and for the good of our country. And if you're not, I'm going to be very disappointed in you, I will tell you right now. I'm not hearing good stories. Mike Pence has to agree to send it back. And then we're stuck with a president who lost the election by a lot. And we have to live with that for four more years. We're just not going to let that happen. It's hard to believe what we're seeing right there. They're just walking through. We're our Capitol Police. Uh, it, it's, it's a strange. Reinforcements being sent to the Hill. And instead, the president is not acting like this is the reality that's happening, even though he is currently sitting in the West Wing watching this coverage unfold, I am told, by multiple people. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Robbie, lots to talk about here. Uh, pour one out for Sheldon Adelson, RIP. Uh, the Blackwater Massacre-ers being pardoned by Trump, not Assange or Snowden. But most importantly, the storm is here. Robbie, we've been talking a long time on the show about QAnon, Trump's rabid conspiracy base of people who have totally devolved from our reality, who really believe that he's the legitimate president, and more importantly, believe that he's saving the world from pedophilic elite demonic forces. When Trump lost the election, I said QAnon was one of the most anticlimactic cults of all time because there was never any big reveal <laughs> or utilization of, on behalf of the president of this base of support that he'd been signaling to and building up for the past four years. But it makes a lot more sense when you realize that according to Trump, the election wasn't over November 3rd. It was really over January 6th. And on January 6th, with the storming of the Capitol, the storm quite literally came. Robbie, 
What were your thoughts when you saw this happening? And did you immediately know it was kind of the culmination of this Q fanaticism that you've been covering for years? Well, yeah, Abby, I mean, I, so I, you know, we had been saying that Trump seemed to have thrown in the towel, like he wasn't putting up a real fight, you know, using these lawyers, it was almost like a cartoon farce, these lawyers, uh, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and then, you know, going on stage with Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood together, that was uh, shocking to see what Lynn Wood, you know, evolved into being a total crazy person threatening Mike Pence's life on Parler and on Twitter. <laughs> um, so all that stuff, you know, that being said, I still didn't think Trump really had a way out of this except for a Q play. And as time went on, I started to get more and more concerned that he seemed to be drifting totally in the direction of just being completely in line with the Q narrative, which... You know, Trump has sort of dabbled in the Q narrative. He definitely dabbles in like conspiracy theories all the time. But this was a transition where it just seemed like he was surrounding himself, you know, with these Q people. Like when I heard that he was having meetings in the White House with Flynn and Powell, I was like, wow, that's really uh, seems really scary to me because Flynn seems to be almost the face of the QAnon movement now. And apparently that was the meeting where Trump floated the idea of martial law because Flynn already floated the idea of martial law on TV a couple days earlier on that Newsmax show. So I started to get really concerned again that things could really go off. I just didn't know how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen. But when I heard that Trump was going to do a Stop the Steal rally in D.C. on the 6th um, and do like an actual speech, I was like, okay. I have to wake up early enough to see this speech because <laughs> if this is if something's going to happen, if Trump is going to use the Q play, it's going to be in this speech. And I didn't think it was likely he would because you know yeah. he hasn't said anything overtly. All he's done is refuse to denounce QAnon and retweet QAnoners constantly. That's not the yeah. same as coming out and saying the storm is here or saying a QAnon catchphrase. So when I watched his speech, Abby, I was you know, probably already a little desensitized to the Mike Pence soft threats that he had already been making and that other people were making overt death threats. So I didn't really connect that in my mind as I was watching his speech. And instead I was just sort of like, oh, he's talking about Oprah not liking him. He's talking about, he mentions like black women not liking him a lot in the speech. It just seems like him whining and being a total baby again. And I was sort of almost relieved when I watched him finish the speech. I was like, okay, he could have been a lot worse. This is not that bad. So I was kind of a little bit relieved. And then, I don't know, maybe like 45 minutes later, I started seeing tweets coming up on Twitter of protesters already at the Capitol building, like battling with police at the police line. I was like, whoa, this is fucking crazy. Like this sort of, you know, I didn't expect this. And then it just sort of was like a torrent from there. So in my mind, I was kind of like already preparing for something really bad to happen that morning. And then I got like fooled by by watching Trump's speech and not thinking that it was going to amount to anything violent. And then it happened anyways. So I'm sort of sitting back now thinking like, oh my God, like Trump barely said anything to incite these people. And it was enough to incite them into like a full-blown riot that took over the Capitol building. I mean, so now I guess I'm just sitting here thinking like, holy shit, what if he actually does really incite people? Because this is like a, 
it's almost like a taste of what he could do. So that's my, I mean, in the QAnon stuff, I mean, I could go into that. We could go into that mm. later. I mean, there's so much other shit to say about that. But like, it's almost like at this point, it doesn't matter if QAnon was part of this or not, because Trump has fostered such a hardcore cult around himself that believe in an alternate lane of reality that he won the presidency, that that is almost what QAnon is. It's like an alternate lane of reality where you believe that Trump is always the good guy, always in right. charge, always one step ahead, always about to arrest and take down the elites. So of course, the Stop the Steal movement was going to merge at some point with the mentality of QAnon. So that's what I think people really need to see here is that it's not that QAnon created this, it's that Trump created almost, it's like he threw gasoline on the fire that was already QAnon with Stop the Steal. And I think it was very intentional because, I mean, was he really trying to win these court cases? Did he really think he could win? Rudy Giuliani hasn't practiced law in 20 years. So <laughs> what was the actual strategy behind that? Now, I just talked to Gumby on an episode that we're going to release in a little bit for Media Roots about this. And his whole take on it is that it was actually done to rile people up. It was done for the press. It was done to create a shit show so that it would just keep riling up these people. And I actually, I kind of almost tend to agree with him now. Like, But, you know, on the other hand, Abby, it's like Trump does appear to have actually lost his mind to a degree he never has before. So I don't know. I'm I mean, I have a lot of shit to say and I'm mm -hmm. a lot of mixed feelings about what happened, but like, what was your fucking reaction to this? I was not surprised at all. Yeah. The only surprising aspect about it, which we can get into, was how it was allowed to happen. And as more evidence comes out, it's very clear that it was directly facilitated by the highest echelons of the U.S. government and the military establishment, political establishment, the police so living in D.C. for as long as I did, I know very well how secure this building is. It's a fortress. The entire complex is a fortress. You can't get near this place within 20 blocks without feds on your ass if you're acting in any way, shape or form not normal. Um, so, yeah, when it happened, I was just like, this is definitely being allowed to happen. And, and if that's the case, then why? So is it allowed to happen? Is it made to happen? And for what purpose? Qui bono? You know, who's yeah. benefiting from this? And what is the use of this? And in terms of Trump, the more that I look into his speech, it, you're right, it is a mixed bag. It's typical Trump, right? Completely batshit crazy Trump saying everything from Oprah doesn't like me to saying you have to be strong and if you're not strong, then you'll lose your country. So all of these things, knowing the QAnon threads of the people who read the tea leaves and go off on their tangents to justify whatever they want to do anyway, and whatever truth they feel is righteous, it doesn't even really matter what Trump says. They'll read into it as their rallying cry anyway. True. And you saw on message boards leading up to the events on January 6th, uh, everywhere from Parler to Facebook to 8chan and stuff. I mean, people were saying that his tweet saying everyone come on January 6th was the rallying cry to them. And the Stop the Steal rally, as it was built up for weeks, was legitimately a call to stop the election from going through. As I said, like these people really thought that they could be a part of stopping an illegitimate president from taking over. Yeah. They thought that they could be part of history, that they were doing their patriotic duty to 
install the righteous leader of this country. And really, who could blame them? Because they were being directed by a cult leader that was brainwashing them by the tens of thousands. So 60,000 people showed up thinking that they were going to save the country, right? And they were going to be part of this historic event. And they were preparing for civil war, Robbie. They were saying goodbye to their families. They were buying out um, local army supply stores. They thought that this was war. I, I don't, and I don't want to blanketly generalize all of these people. Obviously, there's a wide swath of people. Some of them, I'm sure, are like working class people. Some of them were probably just generic Trump supporters that wanted to just be a part of this, you know, yeah. thing where they were like, oh my God, like they got all like group of guys mentality where they, just got super rabid and we're like, oh, I'm going to be a part of this. Um, but I think that a lot of people really uh, wanted more. And we have seen that be proven where people were actually found with ammunition. Pipe bombs were found. Molotov cocktails were found. Some guy was interviewed afterward that said he had a loaded weapon on him. Mm-hmm. And they were out for blood. Uh, enough people there were out for blood. Enough people there had intent to kidnap and kill politicians. And if you go back to the Q narrative, you have to really understand the Q narrative to understand what this really is, which is these people thought that these people are like demonic pedophiles who need to be taken out. And the storm being them, right? They thought the storm was Trump mass arresting and potentially executing the pedophilic elite, the John Podestas, the Hillary Clintons, the mm-hmm. demonic democratic establishment, when really the deep state establishment, right? The Democrats. But really the storm was them. The storm was them sieging the Capitol to do the mass arrests themselves. Trump in the speech said, like, I'm going to go with you. Yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm going to be there with you. And I think that a lot of people were just like, oh, shit, like this is the moment. Trump's going to come lead the charge, lead this battle to take over the Capitol. And you even saw a Republican, Representative Paul Gosar, at a rally promoting the January 6th event said, quote, you get to go back home once we conquer the Hill. Donald Trump is returned to being president. So like I said, I mean, yeah, like I said, I mean, Trump simply alluding to the things that you have to be strong, not weak. If you don't show strength, you won't have a country anymore. You have to have the courage to do what needs to be done. Doing nothing uh, will actually take more courage. He was saying that in terms of Pence, I think, in some weird roundabout threat. But then also, here's most importantly what he said. He said, when you catch someone in fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's definitely coded and suggestive incitement in that speech for sure. There's no denying that. But when you look at just the speech alone in a vacuum, you can't bring incitement charges to him. I don't think any legal expert would say that that alone could be seen as incitement. That's the problem here. And I almost feel I don't want to ascribe any cleverness to Trump because. On some level, it does seem really obvious to me that he's lost his mind. And I think the Mike Pence thing shows me that, that he really has. But he didn't say anything that could be construed as like like yelling fire in a crowded theater, specifically. What Rudy said, that trial by combat perhaps could be construed as some kind of incitement. I think he could get legally in trouble for this. So... We have to look at it all together. 
because without the stop the steal energy that riling people up in the background, because what Mike said on on your podcast is really important that it's like when Trump is saying like we he's basically telling people we need to stop the steal, right? And the stop the steal uh, movement already had merged essentially with this cult like adoration of the president to the point where they believed in this alternate lane of reality, like I was saying. So like you said, to mm -hmm. them, they really believed that they could somehow stop the steal. And, and Trump was essentially nudging them to do that. You know, he wasn't saying, go to the Capitol building, show these people what real, like make these people scared. He, he wasn't saying things exactly like that, but he was kind of in a, he was in a roundabout way. So it's, I guess from all of this, one of the weirdest aspects to me of this, Abby, and one of the most unexpected aspects is that Trump seemed to be directing his own angry mob of followers and actually sicking the Q Anon Q army itself against his vice president. And that to me is one of the strangest aspects of this that needs to be like really unpacked by people. Like even these, you know, these Republicans who are in the House right now defending him from impeachment. I'm listening to their speeches and all they're doing, of course, is just playing, doing the Scott Adams play where they're like, here's what his speech said. He's not in sight. You know, it's like, of course, they would isolate the speech and try to make some kind of technicality argument that he wasn't doing incitement. Well, sure. You can, you can, you know, sort of skip and dance around the, the, the real subject and do that. But I'm just fascinated that there aren't Republicans who are like, holy shit, he actually tried to get the vice president killed. That's fucking crazy. I mean, this is, here's an example of what I'm talking about, Abby. He was already like the Q army itself had already turned against Pence like days before this. They had already decided Pence was a traitor. Lynn Wood was already saying Pence needed to be executed. And this is what Trump tweeted at 2.24 p.m. Eastern time. This was already when the rally and the rioting was like in full swing. He said, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones, which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. So in the middle of this situation, he's still calling Mike Pence a liar and a coward. And it's, to me, that's like one of the things about this that I'm just absolutely fascinated by because we could talk all day about how, you know, the squad and, and people like AOC would have probably been beaten and mobbed like beaten if they had been seen by any of these people like in the halls, because who would be like the primary targets for these rabid QAnon supporters It's probably like Ilan Omar or AOC or someone like that. But at the same time, like Trump is literally putting Mike Pence's life in danger, too. And that is just like, what? Like, I'm that is like, to me, one of the strangest aspects of this and why that's not provoking more of a aggressive reaction from other Republicans. Right. And Pence even had to release a statement asserting he had no authority to overturn the election because this was yeah. fomenting from Trump himself, alleging that Pence somehow had this bizarre constitutional authority, which doesn't exist, to overturn the electors pushing forward the votes on January 6th. And let's be clear, that's why the Stop the Steal mantra uh, resonated, because that was when the electors were officially like christening Joe Biden as the president. Like he was officially going to be the president because that's when everything was like declared that day, right? Mm -hmm. So- 
Um, so he put it out this morning, right? He put that statement out right. in a very early morning yeah, before he put it the out rally. This morning. Right. And, and so Pence, people were trying to look for Pence chanting. They wanted to hang him. Three different people heard people chanting, let's hang Pence. Uh, they put so a noose up outside the Capitol. Yeah. I mean, and apparently I just read this too, that Trump called Pence a pussy. He was just yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah. going to be part of history or you're going to be a pussy um, and not do this. It's like, not do what? Like what, what Pence couldn't do anything. Like, what are you talking about? That This is the thing. I mean, I think some people are missing this. Yes, Pence, you know, there's some weird classic symbolic authority that's vested in the vice president to certify the electoral votes, but it's mostly been symbolic. Now, I almost feel like what was intended here is just a delay, a delay in the count. This is one of the strategies that people pontificated about that Trump could be trying to pull off, where if you delay the count enough to certify the results, it goes back to the states. I don't know if you knew this. It, it goes back to the state electors at that point. So like that's really interesting. So this could have been an attempt not necessarily to get Mike Pence to really flip it, but just to delay it. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that was really the strategy. You know, part of this seems like it could have been some deliberate top down organized strategy to do something. But at the same time, it does seem like it was total chaos. And a lot of those people weren't even expecting to get into the Capitol building. You could see like the shock on their faces. Like there's some like Mm -hmm. boomer, you know, like 45 year old women who are like going in there, like saying like, I, I saw someone take Nancy Pelosi's gavel. Like, oh my God, like they're not organized, you know, strategic protesters. These people are like surprised they got, I mean, some of them are compared to the, the contrast to these militarized tactical people that clearly had some information someone shared information with these people they knew access points they knew tunnels they had equipment they were prepared there's a there's a a difference in the the makeup of some of these protesters that we need to pick through as well and figure that out like what who were these different groups um so i don't know i know i'm just going off now but well i think trump as the events unfolded, he knew it wasn't going to have the outcome that he wanted or desired because he was actually calling Congress people saying to delay yeah. the electoral counts. So it could so be part of the strategy that you were talking about. But at a certain point, he knew that he would probably be criminally charged if he allowed this to go on. And we can get into how this happened for three hours long. Oh, this yeah. was a three hour siege and occupation of the Capitol. And so Trump eventually had to, in order to self-preserve, he had to make that weird video saying, everyone go home. I love you, but everyone go home. Yep. Um, I, we could, you know, we could go back and forth about the criminal incitement for insurrection. And I've looked at the ACLU, which is comprised, obviously, of civil libertarians who will bend over backwards to protect Nazis' free speech, which I agree with. The, the concept of free speech, of course, is the most sacred right that we have. But they allege and they argue that this is not a case of, quote unquote, free speech on the day of this rally, because you can't look at it in a vacuum. You can't look at it in isolation. You have to look at it as a pattern of, of events leading up to the day that actually falls into the criminal charge of seditious conspiracy. Interesting. Because seditious conspiracy you know, coup terrorists, of course, they're all really loaded words and so is insurrection and sedition. But when you look at actually what seditious conspiracy is, it's defined as what Trump essentially has done. I mean, it's the PCJF, the lawyers who represent me in the BDS case against Georgia, say 
quote, if two or more persons in any state or territory or in any place subject to the jurisdiction of the United States conspire to by force to prevent, hinder, delay the execution of any law, uh, they should be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. So that is exactly what happened because that was the intent to prevent the law of the electoral votes to be counted. You could definitely argue for seditious conspiracy, and I think that's exactly what they should go for. I think that we all know that that's not what's going to happen. When Trump leaves office, he's not going to walk into criminal charges to face 20 years in prison, although that is exactly what should happen. And I do think there is a case for incitement to insurrection criminally. But, you know, saying this, people have such reactionary modes where they're like, this is going to be used against leftists. You're arguing for sedition. You're arguing like against free speech. And it's like, first of all, why are you going to bat for a war criminal cult leader? Yeah. Like this guy's a fucking monster. Like, why are you comparing him to me, an anti-imperialist activist who could be locked up for sedition now? I'm not even talking about new laws. Yeah, I think it's being inserted. I mean, I'm done. I'm sick of all these weird Trump defending inserts that are put into the left movement. Like, I don't give a fuck how they're coming in. I don't give a fuck who's saying them. They're being inserted. There's just no way any leftist in their right mind would be like, yeah, if they do, if they take down Trump for this, we're all in danger. The real, (laughs) the real concern would be the way that they're dealing with the protesters. That should be, that should actually peak some, um, what's the right word? Uh, some caution with leftists and how they're dealing with the actual protesters themselves. Because there's some nuance there to comb through in terms of the FBI, you know, going on some this this sort of more aggressive manhunt on them. But at the same time, like they've been doing that with leftist protesters too. It just barely gets the same amount of press. So I don't want to defend these people necessarily, but I also, you know, we need to make the distinction between like this, like you said, this cult leader war criminal who right. is doing all this stuff and the actual people that he's basically brainwashed well, because I exactly. do feel sorry for them on some right. level. These are essentially cannon fodder for a cult. At this point, this is like Joseph Smith leading his followers into just a suicidal situation for his own ego. It's It really is boiled down. That's what it is. And the, these people would have bet their lives on the fact that Trump would still be president come January 20th. They absolutely took him and his cohorts like Giuliani at their word. That absolutely. The evidence not only existed somehow, but it would be presented in court and unseat Biden's fake victory. We've talked about this forever. And I would have arguments with people all the time saying, what will it take for you to abandon daddy Trump? What will it take for you to abandon daddy Trump? And these people would come back at me and be like, he'll never abandon us. He's going to pull through, wait and see. So there's only so much blame to be passed around on the individuals themselves for believing the nonsensical idea that the election was stolen and that they needed to somehow present themselves to take back their country. Because when the most powerful person in the world is promising you that it happened and the evidence exists for it, how much can you blame someone like Ashley Babbitt, who who actually said on social media, the storm is here? It's almost like it's heart wrenching in a way. I mean, after watching that video of her being shot in the neck and, you know, instantly dying, like right on video, it's absolutely heart-wrenching to think that Trump and Flynn and these QAnon people riled up the public to this level. It, it just makes me really, really sad. Like, I can't even imagine what it would be like to have, you know, if she was in our family, you know, like if you knew know. that person. You would, it would be absolutely tragic. You would probably be like, oh my God, I watched him descend into mental illness and I feared something like this would happen and now it's happened. 
And she voted for Obama in 2008, which really shows you the levels of the Q indoctrination and brainwashing cult, because we yeah. all know friends of friends, colleagues of friends who got indoctrinated into this. I live in LA, one of the mm -hmm. biggest hubs of QAnon brainwashing, you know, and that's, that's exactly what happened to this woman. She was an Air Force veteran and she was apparently an Obama supporter, probably wanted the wars to end, you know, mm -hmm. perhaps that was her ideology and she got sucked into this cult, this really, really scary cult. And she's dead now. She's dead now. She got gunned down like a dog. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know exactly what her goal was, you know, like what she was actually trying to accomplish. But yeah, it's disturbing to watch her trying to climb through that window. I I, I, I really feel like she didn't even think she was in danger. I, I feel mm -hmm. that she probably felt so empowered by Trump that she almost felt like she was invincible and that this could just happen. And and at the same time, Abby, I guess I think we should go through some of Trump's tweets while this was happening and what his actual video said, because this to me is also one of the strangest parts, how any Republicans can see Trump's behavior during this and feel that it was okay and that he didn't put their own lives in danger. Yeah, go for it. So this is what Trump said at 2.38 uh, p.m. Eastern Time, right after his uh, Mike Pence t tweet saying he didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. And apparently that tweet got deleted by Twitter because they thought that it was some kind of incitement. Yeah. So at 2.38, Trump then tweets... Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Already when they had already broken in. Now, only about 20 minutes later, he tweets, I'm asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. So at this point, it's almost like <laughs> he's just doing something that probably his aides are asking him to do, but without taking it seriously at all. He's clearly not, he's not telling them to go home. He's not saying this is out of control. It, it, it's like totally nothing. This is not going to have any effect on anything going on. Um, and then at six, so he tweeted the video in, in between at some point after 3.13 p.m. and 6 p.m. saying, we love you, go home, you're very special, uh, and he even mentions in that video that like the election was stolen too. Like he still <laughs> You're says- You're doing the right thing, but go home. Yeah, yeah, he says that. Yeah, he says that. So, and then at six o'clock after he releases that video, he says, these are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great wow. patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home Holy with love and- <laughs> go home with love and in peace remember this day forever now <gasps> here's one thing i think we need to look at here is was this a warning or was this just some kind of spontaneous gotten out of control event did trump not realize the powers he was dabbling in and it blew up in his face or was this trump thinking i i want to show people i'm fucking in charge and I'm still in that role. I don't care if this blows up on me because this is the power that I'm going to wield moving forward. And if that's the case, if Trump is actually embracing this and he's and he's seeing this as like a show of power, I mean, that tweet. 
Right. It says it right there. Yeah. How else? This, these are the things that happen. So this is, this, this is what I'm interested in. How do other Republicans, even the ones who have been loyal to him, not see this as a threat? And this is also something that needs to be kept in mind. And I'm not saying that this was an organized insurrection or a potentially even effective coup. It technically could have amounted to that, though. That's what's so actually shocking about this. This sloppy and as disorganized as this seemed like it was in aspects, it the number the next three lower down people in the chain of command were in that building that day. So even if you don't think that this could have happened, that anybody could have gotten killed, and you're and you're sort of thinking that that's a hyperbolic point of view, it's there's still got to be people in that building who are like, oh my god, the, all the chain of command was here, and Mike Pompeo would have been president if this building got like set on fire and everyone was killed inside that has, that thought has to be sinking in to some of those people. And I'm just like really confused. Like how are they processing that? And then we haven't even begun to talk about the fucking obvious stand down and how this was made to happen on purpose. Like that's a mm -hmm. combined with that. I mean, there's gotta be some people in there who are like, I can't come to work anymore. Like this is, this is a really dangerous situation. The president is insane like how so that's what i'm not understanding there seems to be a disconnect there like if i was in congress right now i'd be starting a movement to be like work from home day like we're not going in the fucking building anymore until this motherfucker's out like that so i guess that's where my head is at so i don't know abby i just ranted a bunch no it's it's all very good points i i disagree to the extent that i do think that this was in part an operation I don't think it was just a yeah. ragtag group that... No, I agree. I mean, I, I didn't mean know. to say I didn't think it was. I, I'm just... I think that there was a mixture. There was an right. operation, and right. then there was obviously like a bunch of just riled up MAGA, yep. stop the steal people sort of following in tow. Exactly. Yeah. And there wasn't enough people who were part of the operation to make it successful. If, that's, that, if that was their intent to actually successfully try to delay these votes sure. and really hold people hostage and... God knows what else. We actually don't know what the ultimate plan really was. And I hope we fucking learn what it was because we need, right. like, we. it's too ambiguous right now because if they were planning on right. doing a standoff, that makes sense. A full right. kidnapping, execution, maybe some of the more crazy QAnon honors, but a standoff situation actually does it on a strategic level. That could be, that it could have been some kind of plan. I, but we, yeah, we have no idea. And that goes along with the stand down because when you yes. look at actually how this was facilitated at every level of the government then you have to understand that people wanted it to happen and if you understand that people wanted it to happen why and what operation did they want to carry out and we'll never know because it didn't happen like you said i think it could have been a lot worse i think that was the most surprising thing to me on the day of i thought there's going to be so much more bloodshed they're going to try to burn down the capitol burned down these people's office offices when I saw the photos of the people in like full military garb with the giant zip ties and um, all of that. And then read the fact that there were trucks with pipe bombs and stuff. I was like, Oh, this could get really, really, really bad. And miraculously it didn't miraculously. It was just completely done, you know, well, just without really many quickly. people dying, even though five people did die. Yeah, I mean, really quickly, I think that that's one of the m things I'm most surprised about is that no one started any fires inside. Yeah, right. Because that could have gotten, I mean, if someone's a suicidal, I'm going to die for Trump, Q and honor. Right. Arson, man, that's like a really easy thing to do to just go out with a, in a blaze of glory. I mean, so yeah. it is surprising that that 
like we're I think we're really lucky actually that no one burnt the building down. And some of these photos look like it was on fire, like that really surreal photo with the Trump flag unfurled in front of the Capitol, yeah, all yeah. the people taking it over. And like there was like a blaze that looked like in the top window. I was just like, this is the most surreal fucking photo. And it really looked like it was going to just completely be engulfed with flames. I don't know what that actual light was. But interestingly enough, the people who even died, their loved ones, some of them who were right there alongside of them as they died, uh, like Ashley Babbitt, like the woman who was trampled to death carrying the don't tread on me flag, sadly, they said it was not Trump's fault still. They actually believe that outside agitators caused the violence despite being there seeing it with their own eyes, which I think speaks again to the level of brainwashing and cult mentality that you could actually fucking be there and see someone that you love die. And you still think that Trump has no fault, that there, he shares no part of the blame of how your friend or family member died. You know, I already mentioned the fact that they had weapons and stuff. I mean, I don't know how many people that was, but I don't think it was hyperbolic to say that the squad and that people felt like their lives were in danger. And it's really interesting, Robbie, and I don't know how much you really want to get into this before we get into the inside job thing, but I, I do feel like this needs to be said, that the same people who downplayed Trump's threat, this unique threat as a cult leader that he posed for the past four years, and let's get this out of the way, he's not a fascist. He, he's not ideologically sound. He's a malignant narcissist who cares only about his personal gain and who cares about protecting his family from like criminal prosecution. That could be in part why he's doing this, but he is a narcissist. He's an egomaniac. He doesn't have a fascist or Nazi ideology. If he did, we'd be in a much, much worse place. <laughs> like, yeah, because all cults and all fascist movements need this, this cult of personality. They need a leader, a charismatic leader like a Trump. But if Trump actually had a deep-rooted fascist ideology. It's scary to think of where we could be right now. So we're actually lucky that he's such a cartoon figure. But the, the point is that he's willing to use fascism to bolster his base and to bolster his power. Absolutely. So that's what's so scary about him. And that's what he's been doing. And that's what he's doing right now. So these same people who's been deflecting this threat of Trump for the past four years who deflected every single criticism of him back to Obama or Bush, and you're mentally ill if you somehow think this is a threat, or you laugh off QAnon as this quirky movement who, you know, people are way making overblown, like you and me. You know who I'm talking about, Robbie, the reflexive contrarianism that we've been talking about on pretty much yeah. every single episode of Media Roots Radio. And they are the same people downplaying this entire event as nothing compared to the real coups abroad, the real violence the U.S. inflicts on the rest of the world. You think the right wing poses a threat? Robbie, a couple of yahoos dressed in costumes cosplaying in the Capitol building for a few hours. You're a fucking moron if you think this is anything to worry about. It's and so bizarre. What is I your mean, response to that shit? My response to that is I don't think any of those people actually, they've gotten themselves into a really weird headspace. And I think a lot of them actually haven't been on the streets in like actual protests before, or some of them haven't. I don't really understand it. I mean, I don't understand the mindset in general. Like, even Code Pink's reaction to the um, to the siege on the Capitol was saying, "This is not a coup. This is what real coups look like." And they showed footage of like Hong Kong and other places. And I'm thinking, why is this the reaction to what's happening? I mean, obviously, we the U.S. does horrible things in foreign countries. Like that's something that we 
talk about all the time on the show, but it does seem like a deflection away from having to ex- or like address what happened. And I don't understand why I see a lot of anti-imperialists doing that because you would think a lot of anti-imperialist leftists especially would feel that a whole army of people, a cult that essentially thinks that they're pedophiles and demons would be something to worry about. So I, that's a little <laughs> bit confusing to me because especially when we know that cops, it's like if you're a leftist who already understands cops are dangerous and that they have lots of white supremacists in their ranks, is it not bothering you at all that now they're also QAnoners? Right. Because that New York uh, NYPD police chief with the QAnon mug behind him who kept going on TV with that QAnon mug behind him, you know, people maybe wrote that off or thought that was just a weird coincidence. It wasn't a coincidence. There are QAnoners all over police departments all over the country and in the military and probably even in the FBI. This is a really bad situation. So when it comes to this rooting out, you know, quote unquote, domestic terrorism and trying to find these people or, or put them on a list or whatever, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think we should go after the law enforcement people as the number one priority right now because they're fucking there. I mean, if you want to talk about like sleeper cell, you know, I hate using this kind of language because I don't, I don't subscribe to the war on terror paradigm. And I think it's a dangerous rhetorical paradigm. But if you're really worried about these QAnon cultists who could be potentially violent striking at some point and committing violence, you should be most concerned. I, I think about the official law enforcement officials right now, because like we've been talking about, and we should probably go into this more, they're the ones who enabled this to happen on some level. We don't know what kind of order was given, how structural the stand down was. We don't know how that breaks down exactly, but we know that on some level that had to have been some of what was going on here is that cops were totally sympathetic to not just the Trump movement, but also the QAnon movement. That's highly alarming and needs to be addressed. The whole premise of if these were black people and not white people trying to siege the Capitol, they would have been shot. I mean, yes, technically that's probably true, but I think it's even worse than that. If these were all white people who were anti-war protesters, right. they would have been right. shot. Yeah, it doesn't, exactly. It's not a race thing. So that when I hear right. like CNN talking about that, I'm like, dude, your guys are like totally glossing over and making this into just like a BLM versus MAG movement thing. It's actually like far, far right. crazier and worse right. than that. And you are actually like, look, if you're trying to look at this from an inside job perspective and trying to examine it, that's how you need to look at it. Because it's not just, oh, they were just ca- cavalier about it. They didn't worry about it. They didn't think this was going to get out of hand because they weren't BLM protesters. No, that definitely was not the case. It was, it was planned. And there probably was some element of the cops being like good old boys with the MAGA protesters. Yes. But that's, I think that's on the small level of what happened here. Absolutely. And when you see people like Nico House, who's essentially just like a provocateur shock jock at this point, someone who collaborated with white nationalist Jack Sabayek on his recent film labeling Antifa domestic terrorists, when you see him downplaying this, oh, AOC's, you know, in so many words being like, she's pathetic for pretending like her life was in danger. It's like, dude, you have no leg to stand on. I don't have any, I mean, I really don't have any sympathy for politicians as people. I, I generally think that they are monsters. But the part of this that is making me really sort of reject any any sort of rhetorical framework like what Nico's saying is that even these Republicans were under threat. Like, right. that's the strange part here is that, yeah, 
you can hate AOC all you want. And, and she does do things that are annoying. You know, I could see why people glom onto her and the right already, you know, has made her like number one enemy, but that's not the issue here. It's, it's that yes, they really were in danger potentially. If this got worse, it could have, it could have been really, really bad. And that is just, it's just strange that people are not seeing that. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be hyperbolic about it either because I'm very resistant to this idea of, you know, this is going to get worse. There's going to be other quote unquote terror attacks by these people. It's not, it's not like that for me. Well, the energy has to go somewhere. Like we, we've yeah. been saying this, it doesn't have to be like, oh, there's gonna be other terrorist attacks. It's just that the energy is bubbling. Yes. And it, it's not just going to dissipate after this is said and done. And we, we knew that we knew the end. I guess that's why I wasn't surprised. I was like, we've been calling this something because had we to knew happen. something had to happen. Something had to break. Yeah. And I don't think it's over. No, I don't think it's over. And you were talking about the people who, who did this mob comprise of the good old boys. A lot of these people were cops. That was just another article that came out today. A lot of people were cops that and now state legislators, that state legislatures, police forces across the country. A lot of these people flew, flew into DC to do this. So this working class narrative that, Oh, they just have election grievances and that they need you know, stimulus, if they had stimulus in healthcare, this never would have happened. I think that's a really not deep enough because again, Trump as the unifier of this fascist base, not only QAnon, but Proud Boys, actual Nazis, other white nationalist groups, and then generic Republicans, rabid MAGA shuds, Trump supporters who got riled up. Um, even an Olympic swimmer was named as one of the rioters at the Capitol. Fascinating. Keller. Oh, wow. So... I do want to comment on the AOC thing because you said something to me, not on a podcast that I thought was important. And it's that AOC has become this cartoon villain where she's almost the target of like the two minutes hate in Orwell's 1984. As much as like Don Trump Jr. and all these right wingers are now pretending that we live in 1984 because Trump got banned and 70,000 QAnon accounts got purged. There is this weird element of this hatred, this seething hatred and targeting of AOC, not only by the right wing now, but a lot of ultra leftists. And of course we should criticize politicians. Of course we should hold politicians feet to the fire. But this, this obsession with AOC specifically is very odd to me because of our impotency with electoralism, right? Because if you agree with that, do you also agree that we can change things electorally? Like that we can just be some sort of force of systematic change from a top-down fashion? You know, like why are we even looking at Congress at all? So it's an odd contradiction, but it also is just disturbing because I don't look at AOC as someone who we need to be like leveling all of this vitriol at and also Elon Omar. I mean, you know, I think it's a shame that people were also mocking them and being like, oh, you felt like your life was in danger. Look at what the U.S. does across the world. And yes, it is absolutely ridiculous that the U.S. actually installs right-wing mobs and fascists and Nazis everywhere from Ukraine to Bolivia. That is a very interesting contradiction, isn't it? But that does not discount that this happened here and you don't have to downplay what happened here as a real threat. So it's not hyperbole to say that AOC, Elon Omar, and other black Congress members like Ayanna Presley felt like their lives were in danger given the nature of the crowd. They, they were carrying Confederate flags. They hung a noose outside. They were marching in, trying to confront them. God knows what would have happened if they did come across them. They could have tarred and feathered them at the very least, like what we did see happen to socialist legislatures in Bolivia. 
But more details have emerged that goes into the inside job nature that actually paint a much more disturbing picture that does prove that this was the case, Robbie. And going back to the, the fact that this was an operation and not just completely an impromptu mob. Wait, can I just comment really quickly on the on the AOC yeah. thing? Just so I say my final yeah. piece on it. I mean, I understand where some leftists are coming from and they're like, you know, these congresswomen have pushed you know, coup legislation in other countries or encouraged dangerous foreign policy excursions. And therefore, you know, we shouldn't like have, you know, I, I don't know if they're saying they shouldn't have sympathy for them, but it's sort of like, well, look what happens to you now kind of thing. I mean, yes, it is very serious that these people sponsor horrible foreign policy. But I think that we can also look at it like it is also true that, you know, something happened here that actually made people scared for their lives. And we needed to see that as a, in isolation. It's like, well, staffers, staffers and shit, you know, like this is, yeah, there's a lot of people. people. I mean, it's just, so, you know, so I guess that's where I break down on this is like, don't make it about her specifically, but what she's saying is valid. It's not, you can hate her and still believe that yes, she felt that her life was under threat. It's like both things can be true. So, um, I guess that's just all I'll say about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's just social media has really rotted people's brains that, again, the reflexive contrarianism, like anything that the mainstream media is hyping up, whether it be the Muslim ban or kids in cages or AOC, you have to go the opposite. And it yeah. really irritates me because it's just like, it hinges on like clicks and this euphoric notion of getting like people to like what you're saying, even if it's playing directly into right-wing talking points. And it's so counterintuitive and it really runs contrary to like the analysis that we should be having, which is we can hold two beliefs at the same time. Um, and yeah, the fact that there's like hundreds, if not thousands of staffers and working class people, people who make the food of fucking Congress people, like all of these people's lives are in danger. It's not just the people who sign off on coup attempts and violent insurrections abroad and like the symbols of the empire. Yeah, like the symbol of the capital is like a disgusting thing. It symbolizes like the state. I don't agree with making this like sacred institution. The point is people's lives are in danger and there is a threat. (laughs) There is a threat that we need to acknowledge of what this is. And it was threatening average working class people and thousands of normal people. And that's what you need to understand. And a lot of people in there got that message directly from Trump's tweets even. I mean, that's what I was trying to explain earlier is just reading Trump's tweets while that's happening. There are people in there who are like, oh my God, Trump is allowing or trying to get people in here killed. I mean, that right. there's really it's really hard not to see some of those statements like that, whether they're technically Absolutely. incitement or not. So that's, I, I think, where this really... It's very blatant to me. And Absolutely. Then, just really quickly, I also want to. Well, do you want to go into the how much of this was a stand down? Because I feel well, like right. That's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna go in. So one thing that came out based on the downplaying of like how AOC was being super hyperbolic and exaggerating about this threat, she told her Instagram viewers last night that she had a quote close encounter end quote, during the Capitol insurrection, which she thought she might die. She can't reveal the facts because it violates security protocols. So this could either mean that it involved like other members of Congress and you actually saw other people saying there are literal sympathizers in Congress who we were scared would reveal our position and where we were Um, that actually claimed they were involved and part of the riots. 
You saw Ali Alexander, one of the guys who was involved in the Stop the Steal rally, instrumental in it, saying he had help. He was aided and abetted by three members of Congress. That's what he just said. So I believe her. We also know, of course, like the target that's been put on the back of people like Elon Omar, like if they found her, I don't know what would have happened. They probably get thousands of death threats every day from these people. But here's a really chilling detail, Robbie. And as much as I disagree with someone like Ayanna Presley, her personal politics, that's beside the point. This is what her chief of staff said in the Boston Globe, quote, as people rushed out of other buildings on the Capitol grounds, staffers in Presley's office barricaded the entrance with furniture and water jugs that had piled up during the pandemic. Groh pulled out gas masks and looked for the special panic buttons in the office. Quote, every panic button in my office had been torn out. The whole unit. Though they should come up with no rationale as to why. She had used them before and hadn't switched offices since then. Do you hear that? Yeah. Someone had torn out the panic buttons in Ayanna Presley's office. The unit was torn out of her office. Yeah, I mean, we need to, the problem is we need to, no one's, a lot of people are going to deny that that's the case unless there's proof for that. So we need, like, I'm not saying I don't believe it. We just need to see and understand exactly what happened there. Like photographs of before her office, who was in there, who might have done that. Because another congresswoman also just said that she believes that several Republican congressmen gave tours to some of these people, some of these protesters like beforehand to show them where all the offices were. Now, that's a pretty wild claim. I, I do, I'm a little bit concerned. Here's the only reason I'm concerned, Abby, is because there is sort of a tendency to go hyperbolic when describing the Trump era. And even yesterday, I did see like a hyperbolic Twitter thread that like did not turn out to be true about that um one congresswoman doing a standoff because she wasn't refusing to get her bag searched at Congress. Did you see that? That wasn't the woman who demands to carry a gun to the yeah. Capitol grounds. It wasn't yeah. a standoff at all. It was like completely exaggerated. Um, you know, they made it sound like she was there ready to like get in a gunfight or something. With yeah, but this people. is something really crazy to make up that the panic. No, 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 no. Of course. No, no. The office. I'm not suggesting it is. I'm suggesting we need like there needs to be hard evidence like, right, right, right out right. of the gates because people there is going to be a mix of hyperbolic insinuations and real facts that we need to comb through and figure out what's real and what isn't here yeah because that congressperson that said that other members of congress who are sympathetic to this mob did show people around the capitol i mean capitol tours are a thing that happens totally. but yeah yeah but what does that mean we need names we need faces we need security cameras in diana presley's office there was a proud boys leader who said that he was invited to tour the Capitol uh, a couple of weeks ago. What is the deal with that? Let's talk about the inside job element because the rioters knew exactly where everyone's office was. You know, they were minutes away from actually getting two Congress members. Like Michael Moore said in his live stream on Facebook, he was like, I've been at the Capitol like hundreds of times. I couldn't tell you where Nancy Pelosi's office is. I couldn't tell you where the House Majority Whip's secret office is. Like, well, you've been how in the there. Fuck to these people. Yeah, no. Of tell course. tell people a little bit what it's like going oh, it's in there. It's a maze. Yeah. It's a goddamn maze. Like there is an absurd, absurd level of security in the entire complex, across the entire DC, even if you get into like blocks within any of these monuments. We all saw those photos of I think the Washington Monument or I forget what monument, but one of them during the Black Lives Matter protesters, and it looked like a fucking army. Like total decked out and 
military gear, like hundreds of cops lined up armed to the teeth um, that you would not have been able to get anywhere near that monument. So where was that? You know, Michael Moore also said that 2,300 Capitol Police members are staffed at any given day on the grounds of the Capitol. He said 500, 500 out of 2,300 were there that that day, which means that almost 2,000 didn't show up to work. There's probably more police there than anywhere else in the world, to be honest. There's like a dozen different police forces there. So not only a, a absurd level of security just in D.C. in general, but you're telling me that where Congress is housed, these people just waltz in. And indeed, they did waltz in, Robbie. We saw the videos. I'm not going to belabor and this point of the cops taking selfies and opening the gates and sitting in single file lines and letting these people just mill about and walk in without doing anything about it. But the fact that there was such little police presence that day when Congress knew the dangers. They knew this rally was happening. They had even told their staffers to go home because they were scared for them. Why did they show up to work? Who knows? That's that's the part I'm really confused about. Are these people who showed up for work that day, were they feeling that this vote was so important they needed to show up even though they knew that they were probably putting their lives in danger? I mean, I'm, I rewatched the CNN broadcast live and one of the first things that Wolf Blitzer says as they're breaking to the police lines is, why are there so little police here? We all knew this was going to happen. He just says it outright. I mean, because, yeah, it's not a surprise. This was very anticipated. There's so many layers to how this could have been a stand down, even just the FBI's involvement here. Um, and one of the, you said you don't want to belabor the videos that you saw. I thought one of the most interesting videos, and I think you sent me, was a video of a cop who was guarding one of the entrances just standing to the side and saying, don't come in, don't come in, don't come in, don't come in, like to all the people just passing by him. Right. It's almost like sarcastic the way he's saying it on the video. So those are very clear examples of open, on-the-surface, MAGA-sympathetic police. But there's another aspect to this, what you're saying, is somebody must have structurally, managerially, withheld the normal amount of police that day. We know that that had to have happened. And here's more proof of that. First of all, let's get this out of the way that the Capitol Police Union held their annual party at Trump Hotel in 2019, which really shows the level of sympathy to Trump's entire politics. The siege was hours long, as we said, 1 p.m. until after dark when the National Guard arrived. That's how long people were actually like hiding out, thinking that they could get killed. Zero helicopters were called to the scene. You have helicopters swarmed if you just have like a protest in front of Mayor Garcetti's house. And there's th you know, three, four helicopters in the air during Occupy Oakland with only like two thousand yep. people on the ground. Yep. I mean, that's yep. It doesn't make any sense. It's almost like they're. It's almost like you know how helicopters are done to give cover to law yep. enforcement and be their eyes and ears. It was almost like this was like no helicopters were done to give cover to the protesters. Like that's kind of a fascinating thing to think about that it was intentionally no birds were in the air that day. And you know how the Capitol police resigned, the head of the Capitol police resigned. Well, according to him, and this is the big reveal that happened yesterday, according to him, his superiors were directly involved in the operation. That's what he said. The chief of, police said that his superiors were involved. Who are his superiors? People in the Pentagon? Did, did people ask him questions? Did he, or did he release a statement? What did, when did he say this? 
Yes, there was a statement released, and I don't know if there's been follow-up questions about who. Um, so this is something that needs to be investigated, that his superiors were involved. We know that he also claims to have urged the Secretary of Defense, that guy that Trump appointed after Mark Esper left, mm-hmm. a total just like weirdo Trump loyalist, to call the National Guard. He was ignored for three hours, he claims. And that's why you had this long three-hour siege on the Capitol it was super fascinating because there was like no press briefing for five days, this totally unprecedented conspiracy of silence to try to get like their story straight because I think they knew part of the political establishment was torn. Like they were paralyzed in their response, right? Because it was such a, an embarrassing assault on the seat of empire. It made the empire a laughing stock around the world. The so-called beacon of democracy that's used to like invade other countries was somehow attacked and overrun by Trump supporters with like little to no police presence. So I think that part of the political establishment was like, holy fuck, how do we respond to this? And I think that a lot of them were aware of people within the ranks of top echelons of the, of the political establishment that were sympathetic and perhaps involved. We all saw the videos. They knew that this had to be an inside job to a certain extent, and they needed to get their story straight to explain away or figure out how they were going to come down on people. Well, because that's... initially, yeah, so mm-hmm, go ahead. initially, there were like no arrests at all other than a few curfew violations, which, which is, is also really fascinating. Dude, which is yeah. unprecedented yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's people in zip ties and kettled yep. areas at every protest. They're, they're, they're zip tying like wafy, tiny women, you know, who are like screaming yes. and crying. It's like, they don't care who these people, they always yeah. will kettle people up. And it's almost like p- punishment. It's almost like they get out of jail usually right away. And it's just done as like a, a, a means to scare people into not doing protesting again. Like you're going to waste pretty much 12 hours of your life, we're going to kettle you. We're going to make you not be able to go to the bathroom. You had this experience where you like put in handcuffs and you weren't even allowed to go to the bathroom. It's like, even just that alone is like, it's, it's dehumanizing. It's so it's, that alone is shocking and, and says a lot. Yeah. And all these people were like, Oh man, we just stormed the Capitol, dude. Did you see this shit? Like a lot of them were later found at Willard hotel, rich ass ritzy hotel in DC, like putting their feet up, smoking cigars, laughing about the day's events. What the fuck was that? And then you see kind of low level charges being put on them as well as this bizarre call from the FBI to quote, help us identify people in the largest surveillance apparatus in the entire world. Very strange. They don't need help. Right. And so then you see these low-level charges being slapped on people like a couple dozen people involved without any sort of idea or description of who could have been directing this at the top levels to actually make this happen. So you see the guy like with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk, who, by the way, got a loan, a COVID loan for his business, um, having up to a year in prison. Compare that to the J-20 protesters who are facing decades in prison for simply being kettled protesting the president four years ago, or the protesters, the PSL organizers in Aurora, Colorado, who simply staged a peaceful sit-in outside a police precinct, and they are facing decades in prison for quote-unquote kidnapping, like ludicrous-ass charges. And these guys are getting slapped with like really, really light charges. And not that I'm like cheering on prosecution or like whatever, but it is very curious and it does need to be explained why this is happening and what is the end game here? No, there's something very, very odd happening. And the fact that no official spokespeople like came out right after this happened for the Trump administration, no, no FBI, no DHS, 
only like a lower down like Capitol Police guy did. I mean, that is eerie. And that in and of itself, I don't know if that was meant to send a message what was going on there. But the lack of statement, the lack of like public interfacing was very uh, sort of shocking. And, you know, why was this? Were Is it possible that people, you know, who work for Trump in his administration, even like FBI people are afraid that Trump would get mad if he was, if, it, if the riot itself was condemned by one of his officials of the hostile act or some kind of attempted coup? I don't know. But I think there's a flip side to this that is scary is that it was intentionally silent. That's one right. possibility here. And that in and of itself was meant to send a message. Like we help, like we maybe even encourage this to happen and then we don't have anything to say afterwards. Like we're just going to sit back. And that's interesting in and of itself. And I think that needs to be examined. Who made the decision to hold back a press conference? Was there someone who wanted to do one and they were told not to? What does that mean? Um, and I'm really, I'm just personally really confused about that. And it is a little eerie and scary because the governments, you know, they're always the first to come out and try to spin something or, you know, do a press conference, try to calm people down. Just, a, just that one Trump uh, video, you know, that he released from mm -hmm. the White House telling people, you know, that one where he seemed to equivocate the most and he sort of went back the most on what he said, that was it. Like, we didn't get any other statements. And I, I'm i just, like, blown away by that. Yeah, I, I was I, just lingering for days. Super bizarre. Brian Becker, the head of PSL, made a really good statement about this, and I think it's going to be released. I can link to it in the timeline. But it's crazy that's, that this country conducts such violent, aggressive actions all around the world, but has no real response to this. Instead, you saw like social media giants swiftly and united in their action, right? Against yeah. people like Donald Trump. It was this kind of shocking passivity with the ruling class and how should they deal with this? And instead there was just silence and letting it linger for days on end. And people were just so confused. And Robbie, yesterday, not only did the chief of police say that his superiors were directly involved, but also you finally saw the press conference yesterday. You finally saw something else really interesting, which was a letter from the Joint Chiefs of Staff directed essentially to the military, which I think is really interesting because it really shows you that they're almost warning the military that they will be prosecuted if they try to interfere with Biden taking over the seat of power and having this peaceful transition of power. So weird. And um, Trump committed the cardinal sin. You know, he committed the cardinal sin of not transitioning peacefully to the new ruling class sector because they need to have this sacred institution of American elections as this facade, as this beacon of hope, right? In order to just continue running the empire smoothly. And Trump did not do that. I don't have it in front of me, but I just have notes from Brian talking about this letter. The letter essentially hints to the fact that they could be thinking of seditious conspiracy charges, um, for people who were involved. It sounds nuts, right? I mean, this is a really, really serious assessment and it doesn't seem like it could possibly happen for Trump. I think Trump's just going to walk away from this scot-free somehow, you know, Teflon Don, but it does seem like there is some weird thing brewing. Like all these people who are afraid to say anything about Trump, I mean, this letter that you're talking about, I mean, who exactly was it written by? The Joint Chiefs of Staff? Yeah. I mean, that's really strange because, like, that 
you know, it's, I don't know if we're moving towards a situation, Abby, where he'll actually need to be like dragged out of the White House. I mean, that sounds cartoonish, <laughs> but maybe this is exactly the situation that, you know, people like Steve Bannon want to happen, like to make mm-hmm. it appear even if it's completely fictional in this alternate lane of reality that make it appear that Trump has been cooed by big tech, by the joint chiefs of staff, by whatever. So that letter is going to play right into their hand in terms of creating that illusion. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's kind of worrisome to hear that. I mean, like, so at this point it's like, where is Trump? He's on Twitter He's been kicked off every social media thing. He has taken zero responsibility for what happened. I don't know if you saw his comment afterwards. In fact, he's even making things that sound like veiled threats. Before he did his speech at the Alamo thing, he was like, it's going to be very dangerous for the country if they impeach, try to impeach me. It's going to be very dangerous wow. for the country. Very wow. dangerous. And he says that the speech was perfect. Nothing was wrong with the speech. So it's not like he's learned his lesson at all from this. He, you know, he's putting out statements like he just put out one. God, where was it? It was from this morning where he actually did say something. He did make another condemnation of violence. Um, mm-hmm. where, where, what, what did he actually say? Hold on. Speaking me... out of both sides of his mouth. So then he can go later and be like, no, I condemn the violence. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it, it does seem like even as crazy and as much as Trump has seemingly lost his mind more than ever, he is employing some kind of strategy here where he's knowing what things he needs to say to to get out of trouble but he's still not it's still he's still doing exactly the same thing so that's what's so odd is i feel like there are probably really people in the government right now who are like how do we get this guy out of here now i mean who are thinking of ideas that go above impeachment and i'm not saying that there is a real coup forming mm. against him but like, I, I don't know what else you would call that. If people are like, we need this guy out of here immediately, well, what to, do we do? Yeah. I mean, they want to p- take him down politically because, again, he did something that cannot be walked back. Like, yeah, he gave them everything that they wanted during his term. He gave them the trillion dollar tax cuts. He gave them all the foreign policy stuff that they wanted to do. He was bumbling, right? That's why the corporate oligarchs were hedging their bets on Hillary at the beginning. But they quickly saw what a loyal servant he was to capitalism and they didn't have a problem with him but now he did something that can't be forgiven and that's why they need to take him down now and that's why they almost need to make him politically bankrupt in the future i do think impeachment would not work um it only potentially will help him again i think it's a pipe dream to think senate would vote on it and criminally charge him like because it needs to be like two-thirds majority doesn't it no there's no way these people literally agree with overturning the election still yeah there's no way they're going to get a two-thirds vote for impeachment i don't even understand why they're doing this again i mean i get it 70 70 percent of republicans still believe that the election should be for trump yeah i mean no i'm saying sitting congress people not just like 70 percent of republicans like in general so i don't understand the calculation here i mean they should be pushing more for like 25th amendment because right like it is pretty clear that he's gone into like a total abyss of delusional behavior i mean even if he's talking out both sides of his mouth and he knows that he's just egging on a delusional army he's still not in his right mind that is not that is unfit (laughs) behavior i mean it falls directly 100 so yeah i mean my question is robbie so lee hop or me hop or is there really a difference 
I think it could have been actually a mixture of both. And mm -hmm. this is where my mind goes, because if there are people who wanted Trump out of there, even like Lindsey Graham, you know, who, who wanted a, a chance to jump ship, we know Trump is a malignant narcissist. We know he was going to latch on to anything that showed or seemed to show that he didn't really lose the election. That being said, is it possible that someone who, that people who wanted to jump ship from Trump egged him into this or wanted this to happen on some level? Now, that means there might be two sides to it. This is a cons total conspiracy theory I'm saying right now, but I just want people to listen to this because it's a possibility. Is Are all of Trump's like really hardcore QAnon aides that he's bringing in the White House all the time now, are they, wor are they all working for his interest? Are they all trying to do right by him? Or is it possible that some of them might actually be trying to enhance his malignant narcissism to the point where he crashes and burns and falls on his own sword? I think that's right. one possibility we need to consider. Not saying that Trump didn't do this to himself, but it's also possible someone helped egg him into it. Now, I right. have no idea if that's possible. I have no idea if someone like Rudy is playing a double game. I don't fucking know. I think what's more likely is that there were Republicans in that building who wanted an excuse to jump ship from Trump, and they found it with this. Whether that means they allowed this to happen, whether that means some of them made it happen, I don't know especially because Trump seems to have actually been put under real threat during this. But I do think that some of them were th really relieved in a way after this happened because it just doesn't, because it, it really does sort of saddle that fight, the stop the steal energy, at least in Congress, it sort of limits that to an extent. But in general, I don't know how much of an effect it's going to have on that other than, you know, they've already certified the electoral results. So, that sort of symbolic thing's already done. Um, but I don't know what they're, you know, I don't know what they would have to gain now from, you know, I don't know. It's just, I, I keep going through this in my head that there had mm -hmm. to have been maybe even some Democrats who are relieved this happened or wanted something like this to happen. Not saying they wanted to put their own lives in danger or their staffers in danger, but that they wanted Trump to finally have his crash and burn moment that they... You know, the pussy grabbing tape, everyone thought four years ago that was going to be his crash and burn moment. Nothing got him. Nothing's ever mm -hmm. gotten this motherfucker. This was the thing that got him. Finally. Finally. 14 days left in office. I'm just totally speculating, but I think it's possible that there was all different sides of this that were kind of in that Lee Hop, Me Hop territory, perhaps. But we really don't know. I think it's most likely that the cops the military and the FBI were on some kind of me hop, Lee hop hybrid track. I, I, that's what I think is, is becoming more clear. I just don't know who else was in that, you know, in that mindset, because it does seem awfully stupid to me to know something like this is going to happen, to want it to happen and then still be in the building that day as a sitting duck. I don't understand how that could have happened. So there's a whole lot of different things that need to be unpacked. Mm -hmm. and we just don't know how this was done, but it's eerie. It's really, really eerie, I think, is one of my main takeaways from this. Absolutely. So, Robbie, two out of the five people that died at the Capitol that day were QAnoners, the officer and the woman, Ashley Babbitt, who was crawling through the window and shot in the neck. This is an angle, of course, that is either misunderstood or laughed off or just not analyzed correctly in terms of how we got here you 
are one of the few people who have been following this since Pizzagate, because this is the ultimate expression of where the energy from Pizzagate really went. So why don't you talk a little bit more about QAnon and how that fits into this? Yeah, I mean, as I was saying at the beginning of this, QAnon, you know, has gained more and more popularity and, and gained a lot of ground and even broken through to the mainstream to a certain extent. And it still remained relatively in its own track apart from the more general MAGA movement, you know, the MAGA cult, whatever you want to call it. Now, over the past year, the two started to become more intertwined. Trump started to, you know, promote QAnon a lot more, sort of indirectly dog whistling to it on Twitter, um, a spattering of it. And then it's just sort of ramped up in the last several months where he sort of went on a QAnon promotion rampage, um, tweeting a lot of QAnon influencers, tweeting out Ron Watkins, who people suspect might even be Q the poster from 8kun. His father runs 8kun. Um, that's a very odd thing to do for the president to be retweeting someone that a lot of blue check journalists are sure is Q. Um, so what kind of signal is that meant to send? Sidney Powell, his lawyer who was in charge of Stop the Steal until she got sort of soft fired, uh, was a full-blown QAnoner. She is the lawyer for Michael Flynn who took the QAnon oath, who seems to be the hero and the main face of the QAnon movement besides Trump. So all this being said, Trump significantly ramped up the Q energy coming out of the administration in these last few months. That was all becoming very clear to me. Now, the stop the steal energy is essentially creating and riling up a bunch of MAGA cultists who are already in the MAGA cult to basically tip them over to the point of being in their own alternate reality lane that is as significant as what QAnon is. Because essentially what Stop the Steal does is it's grooming all of these mega, MAGA cults who haven't jumped off the ship yet, who haven't felt that it's over yet, into believing that Trump really did secretly win all this. He is still going to be inaugurated regardless of what you're seeing on TV, regardless of what you're seeing of these judges declining his legal cases. None of that matters because the reality lane is saying that he won. And he's still going to take the White House. And Biden's never going to walk into that White House. That's where all of their energy was poised. And it at that point, it almost becomes indistinguishable from aspects of QAnon. Because QAnon in general is this narrative that Trump is fighting a shadow war against the deep state. He is going to mass arrest all the elites at the end of this. And that all the elites are going down. And Trump was the chosen person to, to bring this new awakening into play the storm, the awakening. Now, that being said, you kind of look at those together and you're like, wow, so this is almost, they're kind of merging at this point. Not that all the Stop the Steal people were overt QAnon subscribers, but their mindset was very, very similar. So when you have that same psychological mindset where you're pu pushing people into these completely alternate lanes of reality, um, I think it almost becomes indistinguishable. And that's, and I think Trump is aware enough to know that's what he was doing, that he was throwing gasoline on that fire. He was making it so extreme that it was like almost like boiling uh, over, like the lid wasn't, wasn't, you couldn't close it at that point. Um, it's like trying to put toothpaste back in the bot, like the tube, like mm -hmm. it's, he, he knew what he was doing in, in that extent, to that extent. So I guess all that being said, Probably the craziest QAnon person who was associated with Trump who came out of all this was Lynn Wood. And of course, we already talked about he was 
saying that Trump should be executed, that Pence, or sorry, saying Pence that Pence should, yeah. should be executed, then he was going to face a firing squad. And he was even saying that, go get him inside the building, like on Parlor. <laughs> so this is a guy really wacky. He's got a really strange history. He's actually not officially part of the legal team, but Trump somehow like wanted him to use him as like some kind of blunt instrument to rile people up. I don't really understand where those connections are. But I guess... <laughs> One thing I've realized about this, Abby, and I think this is a concept we talked about years and years ago on this podcast, and I even sort of learned it a little bit with the beheading hoax video Mm. that I did in 2004, is that the internet itself was going to be a vehicle for basically destroying the concept of consensus reality itself. Now, I I need to actually emphasize this so people understand. Reality as we know it, is, you know, it's, it's, we observe reality from our own point of view. We listen to the news to get a reality or a portrait of reality that's happening in other parts of the world. We go on social media to discover what our friends' realities are, to sort of share in those realities. But if you really think about what the internet can facilitate, not even just talking about deep fakes, what we've even just seen with QAnon, Abby, I think this is a really actually kind of interesting phenomenon in the sense of what is the internet going to be like 50 years from now? I think QAnon might actually be the very, very first, one of the very first major examples that we can see of how the internet itself facilitates a destruction of consensus reality and how if someone wanted to, they could actually play into that destruction of consensus reality to create alternate lanes of reality intentionally or even unintentionally, because this is sort of what the disintegration of any sort of consensus beliefs does. You've even seen it with what happened after COVID. As soon as some of the science mm-hmm. stuff started to get a little bit, you know, like murky, like, oh, the scientists like were changing their minds or they don't know what's going on. And, you know, people started poking holes in that, that just poof total alternate lane of reality like exploded on the internet that COVID is not dangerous. There's not even a real virus people think that happened really fast. And I think that the more under stress people are, you know, and reality is getting more stressful. Like we're bombarded with all the sensory information, you know, it's overload. People are going to want to resort more and more into their comfortable, whatever alternate reality lanes that make them feel the most comfortable. And this is a really scary thing because it does sort of grease the skids for like cult, like online cults. Because mm-hmm. if you really zoom out from what QAnon is, it is the most powerful digital cult. It's, it, it, it is a cult that has arisen out of the internet. Even if you remove Trump from the equation or the politics from it, we just look at it as a phenomenon. It is the world's biggest digital cult. This is a new thing. There are other cults that have taken over large parts of society, you know, Mormonism in the 1800s, um, other smaller cults, you know, they've done really crazy things, but this is something totally new that has developed mostly digitally and then it's international now. There's a QAnon in Japan. Wow. So I guess what I'm trying to say is QAnon might be on the cutting edge of the internet itself being a vehicle for disintegrating the concept of consensus reality. That just means reality itself. So it is it is mentally ill for people to be drifting into these alleyways of the internet in a way to totally lose their ground. But it's also 
I think it's even more dangerous than that because it could create in some way like a like whatever the closest thing is to just an alternate reality. And when you actually start mixing that with technology, I mean, where can this even go in the future? Like I it actually is kind of creepy. It starts to get Philip K. Dickian when you start inserting VR, deep fakes, mm-hmm. completely hidden lanes of the internet where people who are into the QAnon movement can hide out and use like code. I mean, like, I mean, this is just getting so weird because it's like they're trying to ban all these QAnoners. They're trying to ban even like the the hardcore MAGA movement. It's almost like they're trying to erase it now off the internet, which seems like a really dumb idea. I think this is going to create more sort of weirder versions of the QAnon cult where there will be like secret Q people who use like secret channels to communicate with each other. And, you know, talking about alternate reality lanes, that's almost like a, Invi- like invisible to us and that's also creepy to know that we're not even going to be able to see some of the what these people are doing anymore or we'll have to like go into that other alternate reality to even understand what's happening because it's now being like completely hidden and separated from us and i guess it just makes me really worry about what the internet can facilitate for not just propagandists but people who just like want to destroy reality <laughs> like i mean it's just a weird i don't know if that made any sense abby but it made a lot of sense. It was really well put and really disturbing. You really hit on some really salient and important points about where we're headed. If you listen to the QAnon shaman, like the guy who's taken all the headlines for this, you know, event, he's like the face of it and he's getting all the, you know, sort of like the cartoon face of this capital siege. It's pretty clear that these that these QAnon people are very, very open to going very deep into totally wacky anything goes new age spirituality while also being Christian at the same time. And that is something I think new as well. It's not just that these people are evangelical riled up Trump cultists as that they have a very flexible brain where they're able to like simultaneously believe all these contradictory things at once spiritually, politically. It's very fascinating actually to hear this guy talk at length. Like when I heard him talk, I was just like, wow, this makes this sort of is an interesting insight to how, this happened, you know, people like this. Um, but then just really, I just wanted to make kind of a jokey prediction. It's not really a joke though, because I think this could actually happen. My prediction of where the QAnon movement's going to go after this, I actually think the QAnon movement is going to turn pro-Biden and pro the Biden administration. As crazy as that sounds, here's how I think it's going to happen. QAnon will start to say that the president is going to be inaugurated on January 20th don't listen to what you're seeing on TV. Don't believe anything you're seeing in the news about Biden winning or taking uh, or being inaugurated because Trump is secretly being inaugurated on January 20th. What you're seeing on TV of Biden being inaugurated is a hoax. It's staged. It's meant it's all part of the plan and that Trump will continue to be your shadow president from the shadows because the deep state is so trying to get him that he has to govern from behind the shadows and pretend that Biden won. And then anything Biden does in his presidency will actually be carrying out the bidding of the shadow Donald Trump presidency. That's how, that's how weird hilarious, dude. I think this is going to get. And David <laughs> might have to say things like Trump is holding the Biden administration hostage because he has all the Hunter laptop stuff. So that's how you remember all the like that left, you know, the Obama hope and change rhetoric we'd hear in like the early 2008 mm-hmm. period was like, oh, well, this, the, well, Obama's not closing Gitmo and ending the wars because maybe they're holding his family hostage. 
Right, right, right. Well, what if you invert that in a weird convoluted way with these QAnoners with the Biden where it's like, well, the reason why Biden is not saying anything and the reason why his administration is pretending like they're really in power is because Trump is holding them hostage with the Hunter Biden laptop and all the pedo, you know, or like the child porn or whatever, like they didn't release. So that's, I know that sounds really silly, but I actually think it's <laughs> possible that the, um, the QAnon movement could go pro Biden because they'll just think well, that Trump is still the president and that whatever Biden is doing is actually part of the plan. White hat. Biden's yes, the white hat. Exactly. But, but I mean, these people are so fucking crazy that they already threw the QAnon shaman and Ashley Babbitt under the bus. And I think that the hype about Trump's ban, this unilateral coordination between all of these tech monopolies coming together and banning Trump, purging his accounts from social media across the board, the hype about it, I feel like, is slightly missing the point. Because yes, it is really crazy, right? That the most powerful person in the world, the sitting U.S. president, can be purged from social media. This is a crucial part of our public discourse. For the historical record, his tweets are necessary for us to see and archive, as well as the QAnon storyline, this narrative to tell us how we got to where we are. I think that what it shows is kind of a warning call, like a warning shot to the world of how powerful these companies are and have become mm -hmm. and how disturbing that is. Like the fact that they could do this is very shocking. Um, but anyone who's been paying attention knows that this is far from the beginning of a slippery slope that people are making it out to be. Because people who've been on the receiving end of the censorship train that we've been talking about for the better half of a decade with our Occupy Silicon Valley podcast, with talking about being on the receiving end of the Russiagate fear-mongering, being labeled a Russian agent, being accused of sowing discord and fomenting radical discontent with my show Russia Today the purging of leftists online, the censoring and suspending of Chavistas or sympathizers to, you know, so-called enemy countries, critics of U.S. foreign policy, people like American Vagabond's YouTube account being pulled, all of these things. People who simply question the legitimacy of U.S. foreign policy narratives, pulled, purged, suspended, mm -hmm. removed. So this has been going on. It is very worrisome. But to make Trump, again, this martyr of the system, I think is the wrong call and the wrong analysis. Leftists have been and always will be at the receiving end of any state laws persecution. Of course, the domestic terrorism law that Biden is talking about putting in place will affect the left. The Patriot Act affected the left, right? It went after just innocent Muslims. It went after eco, so-called eco-terrorists. When you're talking about creating this alternate plane of reality and how dangerous that can be to have people spin off into their own mass hallucinations and double down on those and make it into a total lane of obscurity, it's on purpose by these tech giants, by people who are working in coordination with the U.S. empire and government because they want to have this air of like legitimacy and sanity, right? Because it was too stressful for them. We know how stressful it is for people on social media to get people attacking them and criticizing them. That's why they all like call for people to be suspended and shit who just criticize politicians and criticize public figures. And so we know how stressful it is for them to be held accountable in any sense of the word. And they don't like seeing this plane of reality. That's why Trump was so disturbing in general, because it disrupted 
this notion of like American exceptionalism to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think the social media aspect magnifies that to a certain extent. And that's why they just want it to be gone. They want these people to be fucking gone. They don't care what the effects of that are. And they don't care about the contradictions and hypocrisy of the fact that these same social media giants are who exactly fomented the same radicalization. They exploit they're responsible the for mental illness. They they cater and hone in on mental illness and put the algorithms in place to bring people into these lanes of the internet in the first place. Anyone who goes on YouTube for an extended period of time will end up watching some sort of alt right propaganda. Doesn't yeah. even matter what you're watching. It's like it, you'll just be led into that mode. And people who are susceptible, who who are trying to find their identity, people who are told in this like identity politics driven reality that we live in now, which is like so superficial. I get why like white teenage boys are just like driven to this kind of shit. They don't have any inclusion. And so a lot of people are being driven into these lanes of the internet, advocating purging them all. And to be celebrating this, I think is really damaging because it just shows you they don't want to deal with the root cause. They don't want to deal with the fact that we have no media literacy or critical thinking skills that we've like devolved into just complete base level uh, propaganda, lapping it up. We have no ability to sift through information. We have no ability to discern facts or ascertain a consensus reality that we can build upon to increase the material conditions of our lives. And that's really scary. That's really scary. And when you see the coordinated purges of people like Donald Trump and all of his followers, it, it's a shocking thing to some. But like we've been saying, Robbie, this is something that has been going on for a long time. I was surprised to see it because I was yeah. surprised to see companies actually act with more power than the actual state force of the U.S. empire. Like the actual political establishment mm -hmm. didn't actually do anything. And instead you just saw Twitter punish Trump. That was surprising to me. But, you know, anyone who's been paying attention to the fallout of all of this, the Google changing their algorithms and everything else knows that our reality has been shaped and curated for us for years and years. And all of these anti-establishment left organizations, groups have been backpaged into total obscurity for a long time. And they just are non-existent already. Forget actually like purging them officially. They're already just not there. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things to say about this, but I'll keep my opinion relatively short. But I'm gonna, but I'm gonna delve into my own conspiracy theory about this, and I know that some of it sounds a little over the top and and not provable, but I think we need to look back at the last four years of how this all, how we got to this place, because this started originally with this idea that Trump was colluding with Russia, and that Pizzagate had had an enormous kind of effect on moving the needle in the election. So th this stuff was set in motion four years ago, and we immediately got, even before Trump was inaugurated, and a very suspicious article in the Washington Post um, that was interviewing a group that was anonymous called Prop or Not, that in all likelihood is run by the same neocons who gleefully slaughtered Iraqis and wanted to bathe in their blood and are basically just sociopathic serial killers these people made a list of websites that were harmful disinformation 
And in that list, they included actual real neo-Nazi websites, a bunch of actually real fake news websites, and just websites that dabbled in anti-war, anti-imperialism, and real conspiracies. Um, Corbett Report was in there. Antiwar.org was in there. Um, Mint Press News was in there. There's there was other ones in there too that I can't even remember. You were even brought up as someone who was helping spread Russian disinformation in the ODNI report before Trump got on, got in. I mean, these these were serious things that really moved the needle and created the situation where people in this country, all these people in the journalistic class, in the political class, in the think tank class, all started glomming onto this fake thing about Russian disinformation dividing our country and how it needs to be combated. Entire cottage industry was created to combat disinformation. We had the Alliance for Securing Democracy. We had NewsGuard, Prop or Not, all these weird, spurious entities that seemed directly connected to like the intel sphere, the national security state in D.C. Now, I'm wondering... And Google is the biggest lobbying force on the Hill. Absolutely. And, you know, we already know that Google had machinations of wanting to move geopolitical events many, many years ago. Eric Schmidt fancied himself as being like a geopolitical mover and shaker. These are not just companies that do a state's bidding. It's not that simple. So what I think we need to look at here is who has been consulting Twitter you know, we already know who's been consulting Facebook. It's the Atlantic Council, Digital Forensics Lab, Snopes, and the Daily Caller. They're, that's their fake news monitoring board. But we need to figure out who's also been consulting Twitter and Google. Is it the same national security state connected like spook nest people, like Alliance for Securing Democracy, that are have been putting it into these companies' heads that they need to fight disinformation in a certain way? How did this all happen? Because... It does seem like the if you know the all the Russia hysteria, if you really think about it, yeah, maybe it was used to delegitimize Trump on a certain level in his presidency, but it really seems like this is all what it was leading towards is this idea that we need to create an alternate lane of the internet that's completely sanitized from anything extremist, any conspiracy theories, any disinformation, which is when you really boil it down, is such a dumb concept because then mainstream media news itself puts out disinformation constantly and fake news. So Right, of course. So to say that they're, it's okay for them to do it, it's almost like they're really trying to force back in this paradigm that we need to trust the media. Um, but here's, I guess, in the end of all this, Abby, just to sum up my thoughts, I think even if Trump goes down in flames and his brand is ruined over this, let's say that happens and he doesn't choose to become some kind of shadow, rabble-rouser, quasi-president moving forward during the Obama administration, which I also think is a possibility. He could still rile up people, you know, their Biden resistance. He could be that guy on the outside. But I think in the end of all this, if Trump does crash and burn and his brand is ruined, maybe he loses, Abby, but people like Bannon really win. Bannon the, the ideologues behind this who want it, who want to create this realignment of the elites versus the, you know, the lower downs, the conservatives, Bannon wins when this happens. People like Bannon win because it plays directly into the narrative that they've been trying to push this whole time, it plays directly into the Tucker Carlson narrative. And I think that's really, really dangerous here. And I don't understand do people at Twitter realize they're playing directly into the hands of those people who have been trying to tell us that the that Trump is fighting the elites, fighting the deep state, fighting big tech? Now it's like, well, they're they're giving them pretty much exactly what they want, 
And that to me is really disturbing because if we're talking about, you know, trying to lower the temperature, trying to alleviate some of this tension that could potentially lead to civil war, well, I don't know. I mean, to me, it seems like pushing all the MAGA, hardcore MAGA movement into an alternate lane of the internet is doing exactly what could energize people into be like a civil war. That's what's so fascinating about it to me. And I don't, I'll, I guess my conspiracy about this is, do they want that? Like, are they trying to exacerbate it? I mean, I'm sure some of them aren't. They think this is a good idea, mm -hmm. but who is really behind this push? How did this happen? I, I think we really need to go back and look because I, I well, mean, uh -huh. we know already kind of how it happened, but you know, we need to know the more details about it because it does seem like part of this was a setup to get here in terms of well, locking down I, the internet. Yes, and I think that Pizzagate really made the establishment go into a frenzy about how fake news, they really knew the damage of that. They knew the damage of the Podesta leaks. They knew how much their perception of fake news cost um, them the election and put this an unstable, like crazy monster in office yeah. that really exposed the fragility of the U.S. empire to the world really lost its standing to a lot of people. And, you know, this egalitarian neutrality of what the internet was founded on and what it should maintain as is something that is a threat, was a threat to all of these people. And of course, these social media companies who, of course, working in concert with the political establishment wanted to purge any sort of alternative narrative that runs counter to the corporate narrative about capitalism, about American exceptionalism, about U.S. foreign policy. And that's why you see this happening. Unfortunately, this has been eroded a long time ago. And that's why net neutrality is so important. I've been talking about net neutrality for like 15 years, and I knew that it was, it's been dead for a very, very long time. And the question isn't, should we be protesting the banning of these conservative accounts? It's, should these companies exist at all as a tech monopoly, as such yeah. a powerful entity that they're actually more powerful than countries themselves? No, of course they shouldn't. We need to break up these monopolies because they have no competition at all. They don't have to install privacy laws. They need to be forced to prevent mergers and to install some sort of like net neutrality again because mm -hmm. they're monopolizing the public discourse and they're eroding the commons. Well, it's like and we've moved so private, far away from net neutrality now as even right. a concept that it's like there's so many other... Like, we, I don't think we predicted that this was going to be the ultimate issue. Private oligarchs shouldn't be deciding free speech or monopolizing ideas. Reality has been curated for us without us even knowing. We're just put into these circular thought bubbles of people who we agree with mostly, and that's really what they want. You know, they don't want us to have these bad thoughts or conspiracism like infiltrating our sacred bubbles of of what we perceive this country to be but i do think breaking up these companies is the only way to go and publicly owning them that that's really the only solution here otherwise they are going to become more and more powerful and they are going to just constrict and strangle um ideas more and more and they just want some sort of like homogenized culture um, and when you're doing that, like you said, it's just going to isolate so many more people and create so much more radicalization because people are going to feel like they don't fit in to like these liberal insular bubbles of what they perceive reality to be. Because as we know, like there's vast distrust of the mainstream media, 
because we know we've been lied to. We know we've been lied to and taken into wars over and over again. So it's like, it's just being told that you're crazy, right? And anyone who doesn't fit into that mold is told that they're a conspiracy theorist. And where do we go from here? Let's wrap it up. Um, obviously, Trump should be criminally charged. Obviously, obviously, his family should be criminally charged for so many things that he did while they're, they were in office. Only half of the 70 million people that voted for Trump <laughs> believe that <laughs> believe that what happened was righteous and justified or whatever. So that is something to build from. That means that we can still bring these people back to a plane of reality that um, I guess that's something to look at optimistically. And I think that we know that if impeachment continues, then this will be detrimental in the sense that this is all the focus is going to continue on Trump, even into the Biden administration, instead of like a working class program that we need to be galvanizing around and organizing around, which is $2,000 checks, healthcare, and a program that is a genuine working class alternative to demagoguery. Because if you don't do that, if you don't do that, the next Trump, and I hate to be like this hyperbolic thing that everyone says, oh, the next Trump is going to be worse, but like it will inevitably be worse because there is going to be someone with a fascist ideology, someone who is an ideologue who wants authoritarian fascism. There is going to be someone like Trump who's charismatic and who can lead this right-wing movement, this disaffected tens of millions of people who want fascism into fascism. Because neoliberalism is going to fail and continue to build and sow the conditions for something much, much worse. And that's why we need actual leftist organizing. And we see what the state will do. They will not protect us. They will let this happen. There are many, many people who are sympathetic to this that potentially want fascism to take over, even though I'm sure the majority of the bourgeoisie does not because it's unstable, right? They'd rather have like neoliberalism, capitalism. Mm -hmm. Um, because they can just pretend like we have democracy and you put a vote every two to four years and you just keep going and living your lives as slaves to capital. But I think that a lot of people don't mind fascism. And the more that they fail systematically, the more the conditions are ripened for someone who is a clear ideologue to take over and rise in the ranks. And that's what we need to prevent. Yeah, and I, I don't know how... Um, it can be prevented uh, because, you know, I don't think anyone's going to come out of the scene with the same rhetorical skill that Trump had. He definitely had something special with his speaking ability, being able to cut through so many like paradigms and things like that. Somebody would have to really study that and like duplicate just on that essence of that. But you're right that someone who has a much more competent fascist vision you know, someone like Tom Cotton's especially scary because he's from a, like that nexus point between a neocon and a fascist, like a full-blown neocon puppet. I mean, imagine a president who's wielding the same kind of fascist rhetoric as Trump, but who's also like a Bush era, you know, neocon at heart as well. To me, that's a that's one of the biggest dangers here is going back into that actual Reagan era where it's like the evil empire paradigm, not just China, but mixing together that fascism with the nationalism plus the aggressive neocon foreign policy. So I will say right. that Trump didn't connect all those things together. He didn't, he wasn't all those things at once. And I think that we were lucky. And also because he was very incompetent, as you were saying, he was not a competent 
fascist. He probably wasn't really even a fascist. Somehow he tipped over into being like more of a crazy authoritarian, you know, visibly in the last few months. Like I kind of was even a little bit surprised by that. Yeah, I just think ultimately there's no, nothing's gonna good's gonna come out of this situation, and that this is going to be a big problem moving forward. But it's like we shouldn't be concerned about the people who are being punished by big tech who are literal Trump associates. Like, yeah, that's surprising, and that is sort of a drastic maneuver on their part. I'm more concerned about regular MAGA supporters. Like, if it starts happening where, like, if you're a MAGA supporter, you can, like, lose your job or something after this, then I'll start being like, yeah, this is really dangerous. To, it's not just leftists. Like, we need to all also stand up for the rights of these MAGA people. But I don't give a fuck if, like, Rudy Giuliani is disbarred. That motherfucker needs to rot in a fucking jail cell. I don't give a fuck about any of these people. Gorka, all these people need to go to jail. My rule is all neocons and war criminals go to jail. Michael Flynn needs to be back in jail. That dude's a fucking neocon war criminal. It's hilarious to me that he's been like rebranded as some kind of anti-deep state hero. Bernard Carrick also. He's talking about Orwell and the deep state. He fucking worked under Paul Bremer and murdered hundreds of Iraqis. It just It's hilarious that these people think they can get away with rebranding like this. They all need to go down. I, I think there's need, we need to separate the people who've been brainwashed by this from the people who are part of it and not have sympathy for them or act like that's the turning point of big tech coming for us all if, if, if Rudy gets disbarred or if Trump gets banned off Twitter. We did an episode in 2014, Abby, where we talked about why Silicon Valley is one of the most dangerous situations we were facing. And, you know, barely anybody listened to us. And now a lot of people are suddenly worried about it after Trump getting banned. It's like you need... You can't just jump onto these bandwagons. It's like you really need to be looking at this shit long term. So I guess that's all I'll leave people with. I'm just ultimately really frustrated from this situation and still a little bit scared about where this can go with the domestic terrorism fear mongering, but also the real threat of QAnoners not being able to calm themselves down after this situation. Both of those prospects are scary to me. Another Patriot Act and more people out there just who cannot get over the situation and who are ready to die for Trump, even after he's gone. So it's not good either way. It's it's not going to be good. Yeah, I mean, the New York Times, when this happened, published an article saying something like, uh, this is the end of Trumpism, you know, what a spectacular failure this was and stuff. And it's like, I wouldn't I wouldn't speak too soon because the energy is still there the tens of millions of people are still going to be believing this alternate reality and it's just going to continue to build as they continue to get more isolated. So Trumpism is not going away. Even if Trump decides not to run again, these people are still out there and there is still very much of a threat of the right wing who want to kill us. We are their political enemies. They think that we are all rabid, crazy socialists who want to destroy liberty and destroy America. And that is very disturbing, right? And these people have been emboldened, they've been strengthened, and now they see the response from the state and they just say, oh, we could fucking do whatever we want, dude. And we need to really start to assess the facts and get a better analysis that's more than just hot takes on Twitter and social media. Like we need to take a step back and really take stock on how we got here and start really thinking about building alternate forms of communication and organizing platforms because the revolution is not going to be organized on Twitter. It's not going to be organized on Facebook. 
we have to really be serious here and figure out what are we going to do? Because again, the state is not going to protect us. Big tech is not going to protect us. We have to protect ourselves and we have to protect each other. Yeah. And, and don't, and I'll just leave people with a final warning. People are trying to hijack this debate. You know, to see neocons saying this is a Orwellian, like Bernard Carrick, there's so many people trying to hijack this right now. Barry Weiss and Eli Lake are acting like they're all behind this, the dangers of big tech now. Don't listen to people like that. They have hidden agendas. They're fucking neocons. Barry Weiss is a total slimeball, like fucking fraud. So to even see now, like I agree with Glenn Greenwald's take on this, but now he's retweeting Barry Weiss's article about the dangers of big tech. And I'm thinking... This is this is this is dangerous. We can't let these fucking frauds and these neocons hijack this debate. Don't listen to the Tucker framing, the Bannon framing, the Barry Weiss framing. Listen to the people who've been warning about this for the last four, five, six years. You know, even if you're conservative, don't listen to the people who are jumping on the bandwagon now. This has been going on for a long time. It's they're trying to hijack it to make it seem like it's all about conservatives and getting rid of conservative thought. I don't know what we can do about it, Abby, next. I, I don't think we can do anything because Silicon Valley is to blame for facilitating this. Their algorithms boosted it. Uh, they made money off of it. And now they're acting like they're going to save us by shutting all down. I mean, I, I kind of almost agree with Bannon in, in, on this small area. I think Jack Dorsey should be held criminally liable for for what happened. I mean, this is like, it's so complex that, yeah, like... I don't know. I don't think we can do anything about the MAGA movement and people who have lost their minds at all. It's too late. It's like putting the toothpaste back in the bottle. You can't. So to think that it's just going to be this domestic terrorism manhunt moving forward is just very disturbing because all these people willingly participated and created this, and now they're acting like they're going to save us and stop it. I mean, the FBI, you know, like in a way, they kind of almost kickstarted Pizzagate with releasing that Comey letter and leaking that, like this whole thing is just super sus. And I'm, I'm going to be pouring over for months and probably years to figure out what the fuck happened in the last four years and how we got here. Well, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Media Roots Radio. We're just sort of kind of expressing our thoughts. We didn't have too much time to, you know, I mean, there's not that much time since this event happened. We're going to be probably reflecting on this for many more months to come maybe have different opinions on the next episode once we learn more information there's just information that came out last night and this morning that a navy seal um, was involved in part of the capital siege and also a milit high level military intelligence person this blonde woman who was involved in organizing a bunch of protesters so there's a lot of different layers to this that need to be fully unpacked um, but at the same time, be careful out there from people who are always being hyperbolic about Trump, especially the Russia Gators. Don't necessarily take what they're saying at face value because they're going to be putting out hyperbolic inserts too. Try to just remain calm and and actually verify things right now. So, um, but yeah, thank you everybody for listening. We love you guys. <laughs> we love you. You're very special. And, uh, we really appreciate all your support over the years for Media Roots Radio. If you're not already a subscriber, uh, please consider becoming one for $5 a month. Um, you get access immediately to all of our bonus episodes. And right now we have about a 25-hour long podcast series about the Freemasonic history of the United States. That's a bonus episode for our subscribers. 
Um, so yeah, um, we think you guys would enjoy that and thank you so much for listening and everybody stay safe and take care out there. Remain calm. And, uh, yeah, if you know anybody who's still sucked into QAnon or stop the steal, you know, check in with them every day, see how they're doing, kind of gauge where they're at. You know, if you know someone in your personal life, um, treat it almost like a mental illness, you know, be kind. Uh, it's, it's hard to, I know, but like, it, it's a serious thing. Take care, everybody. 